David Nils, welcome to Uniquely Isquad. Really appreciate you coming out. Um, we're here to talk about the little red fish, yes, also known sure. as the kokanee. Yep. Um, first off, um, tell us about yourselves a little bit. Why? Um, why are you here? Why is it special? Why is the little kokanee, the little red fish, special? Um, David, why don't you start out? Sure. Uh, my name is David St. John, and I'm an environmental affairs officer for King County in the Department of Natural Resources and Parks. And I've been working on kokanee recovery efforts for almost two decades now. Um, and there's a lot of history um, with the county and in this watershed and around Puget Sound uh, working on salmon recovery um, for, for longer than that, like going back into the late, you know, last century. Um, so I started working on kokanee in about 2000, in addition to other salmon. Um, and I've been working on kokanee since, since then in varying, mm-hmm. varying ways and different different mm-hmm. capacities. Mills, how'd you get involved with Kokanee? You're a filmmaker, <laughs> right? right. Yeah, documentary filmmaker and, and video producer. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I moved to this region in 2010 specifically to um, kind of cover environmental stories and get out into the wilderness. It's something that I've had in me since my early days up in Western Canada where I grew up. And uh, yeah, I, um, through a, a separate project, learned about the little red fish and just met David, met uh, some of the folks working on recovery and just realized this was, you know, what I had done for this short video for PBS was just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, we started plans to try to make something bigger about three years ago. And um, yeah, I just, just fell in love with the story around the fish. And when I finally got to see one two years after we started the project, uh, you know, it's just just a mystical um, experience to, to see such a, a rare um, fish in in the streams here. Wow! So it took you two years to actually lay eyes on on uh, kokanee in in the wild, so to speak. Yeah, I'm sure David will elaborate kind of what's been going on with the little red fish the last few years. But you know, we, they were just um, it, it's hard to like time uh, something as clunky and slow as a film production with you know nature. Mm-hmm. So there was partly that, but they're just this weren't that many fish, um, you know, coming back, um, the, the principal season we filmed. So mm-hmm. yeah, I was just, uh, just wondered if we were actually going to see any, uh, and yeah. we did. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that. You know, for people who don't know what is a kokanee, sure. um, you know, and then yeah. specifically the Lake Sammamish kokanee, what's going on with them? So, um, kokanee are a, a salmon that's native to Lake Sammamish and the Pacific Northwest along a side Chinook and coho and sockeye and chum. Um, they're one of the, uh, the the salmon species that have been here for thousands of years. Um, and and our kokanee are native to this watershed. Um, and there's only a there's only two kokanee populations that are that are present today that are native to Puget Sound, the Puget Sound region. One is in Lake Sammamish. Oh wow! And one is in Lake Whatcom. Oh okay. Uh, and we know that they are unique from other. Um, kokanee populations around the Pacific Northwest because we've done the genetic studies of them and we've mm-hmm. compared them to other uh, fish in the other populations in the species mm-hmm. and they are unique among all of their mm-hmm. siblings or their their mm-hmm. other um, populations of the species. Mm-hmm. So they're they're related to sockeye. Uh, they're okay. they call them a landlocked form of sockeye. So if people know what sockeye look like, mm-hmm. kokanee are a smaller version of. 
sockeye. Now, that was going to be my follow-up question. If they, yeah. if they went out to sea, yeah. what would they be? Right. They, they would be sockeye. Okay. That, by mm-hmm. definition, that's what they uh-huh. would be. Um, uh, they're smaller. They don't mm-hmm. go out to the ocean, though they could, mm-hmm. um, which is one of the unique things about this population yeah. is they're not truly landlocked. They can go out to the ocean anytime they want. They can That's leave true. Lake Sammamish if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't stop them. There's no way to, to, that we would we would want to do that hmm. um, as sort of the natural course of things. They can leave if they want to, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't. Uh, they they reside in Lake Sammamish and the streams for their entire life history, mm-hmm. which is usually about three years, three to four years. Um, long. Mm-hmm. So um, they have a long history in this watershed, that probably back, we believe, into, to when the glaciers receded. Oh, wow. Uh, so thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they historically ranged throughout the Lake Washington watershed, which which is which encompasses Seattle, downtown mm-hmm. Seattle, mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that area in Bellevue and Kirkland and Renton and places like that. So historically, there are records, anecdotal records, going back into the 1800s of the little red fish being um, in this watershed um, in Lake Washington and streams that flowed into Lake Washington or flow into Lake Washington today, um, streams that flow into the Sammamish River and streams that flow into Lake Sammamish. Um, so they, they were around in many, many places. There's uh, records, um, um, anecdotal records that show them in, in many places in large numbers. Wow. Um, we're going to talk about the film. There's a part mm-hmm. that really I thought was a really interesting part of the film that I didn't know was in there until mm-hmm. I saw the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's uh, Jeff Jensen, who's a professor at UW Bothell, talks about the, that history. Um, and there are there are fish from this population at the Smithsonian oh, wow. that he's doing genetic mm-hmm. studies of to see how they compare to current day. Coconut. So mm-hmm. they've, they've been here for a long time. Mm-hmm. For time, almost back to time immemorial, as, the, mm-hmm. as our tribal partners would say. Um, are kokanee up north, the kokanee specific landlocked salmon, is that a northwest thing or is it global? Are there are there other salmon? Yeah, uh, uh, sockeye, that species, Oncorhynchus nerca is the species okay. name. They, uh, they're Pacific Northwest, um, mm-hmm. and uh, they have relatives. I'm, I, I mm-hmm. don't know this for sure in like, detail. Right. I'm in other parts around the Pacific Rim. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but there, there, there are sockeye populations around the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. Some are "quote unquote" native, like true. They are where they've always been. Mm-hmm. Some are introduced uh, through hatchery programs that move mm-hmm. eggs around to fish around, and that's, that's so. Like kokanee, that would be in Lake Chelan, so to speak. Yeah, I don't, I don't know about that one specifically. Okay. They could, they might be native. They might okay. be planted. It, okay. I don't know. I just don't mm-hmm. know enough about that one specifically. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we know ours yeah. aren't related to them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So and so. Um, sorry if I'm going to ask a question you don't know, know the answer okay. to. But um, so other kokanee would be could be related to other types of salmon. So they wouldn't be like a Chinook version. No, the so, kokanee would all be related to sockeye. Oh, they all are. No matter where they are, they are. If they went out to the sea, they'd be sockeye. No matter where they are. On, okay. Right, right, okay. Right, Interesting. Right. They're more Interesting. just they're mm-hmm. they're more distantly related to other salmon. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all salmon. Right. But um, mm-hmm. they're more distantly related to them. Why? Why a movie? Why did this, you know, what brought this to the level of doing a full-blown documentary on on the Lake Sammamish Kokanee? Why it, why is it so important? And I open that up to you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, from, uh, for me... Uh, I want to hear what he says. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really got all the ingredients of a great film. Um, <clears throat> you know, you have... Uh, People who pretty much dedicated their professional careers, their lives to, you know, recovering the species or teaching people about or teaching people about, 
you know, the time when it when it was, you know, uh, 10,000, 15,000 strong. Um, and then you have, you know, changes that are happening, um, you know, with, with development, with uh, the region changing and growing that, you know, affects this, this fish and these people. Um, you have this beautiful, um, you know, natural environment that's also a, a beautiful suburban urban environment where all these things are taking place. Um, and so it, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, it's got uh, this in, incredibly interesting uh, species that even people in the region don't know about. Um, and, yeah, it's got dedicated characters that we could follow for a long period of time, um, you know, on the ground doing things to, to, to bring this back. And, and for me, I really love community building through film, and, and that was, you know, something that was happening already that we kind of glommed onto, and, and we watched kind of this community grow, um, you know, that really started with the Kokanee Work Group, but... Um, and yeah. it was, yeah, it was yeah. a great, great I, subject. I'm glad you brought up the work group. I did want to ask about the work group. Um, how did that start? Is that is it Lake Samaritan specific or is it the whole Puget Sound region? Uh, tell us a little bit about the work group, David. Sure. The work group was formed in 2007 um, when uh, several elected officials in the watershed, mm-hmm. including Ron Sims, who was the King Island executive then, and other, other elected folks from the, from the cities, um, there was a long history of, a monitoring of the decline of this population. Going back to the 80s, WDFW was collecting data uh, in the 80s that showed that the population was collapsing um, and they were fish were disappearing and the numbers were getting smaller and smaller. So there had long been a recognition that something was going on here that um, was was worrisome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there were, in the 1999, 2000, there were um, listings under the Endangered Species Act of other species of salmon like Chinook and steelhead and mm-hmm. Um, and others, uh, and bull trout. Um, so there was this growing concern that um, kokanee were in bad shape and other salmon were in bad shape. So that generally there was, oh, oh my gosh, something bad is going on here. We need right. to get focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, our work on kokanee kind of grew out or in that context of a, a broader concern about salmon in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in this watershed, kokanee specifically, so in 2005, 2006, 2007, there was a greater sense of urgency um, from that. And uh, we had seen um, in 2000, 2001, 2002, one of the runs of Kokanee in Lake Sammamish basically disappear. <laughs> Historically, there were three different run timings of, of Kokanee going back to their spawning grounds. Okay. Uh, um, one was sort of the early run, they called, um, uh, which was predominantly uh, a run that went up Issaquah Creek. Okay. Uh, which probably produced a lot of fish, just given the size of Issaquah Creek and the amount of spawning area that mm-hmm. that could that would be accessible there. Um, we saw the last few fish of that run in 2002, I think. Oh, okay. Because I was going to ask yeah. about that because you know yeah. Issaquah Creek is the big one for it's the hatchery. It's the major major so. tributary to the lake mm-hmm. that produces most of the water that goes in the lake. Right. Um, it's and its watershed is over half of the, the contributing area to Lake Sammamish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we uh, we had seen that happen in 2002. Wow. Uh, we tried to catch the last few of those fish and put them in the hatchery to preserve their their mm-hmm. genetic um, lineage, and we failed. Um, so um, just just blew it. So mm-hmm. there was people were okay. We're not going to let that happen again. Salmon are going in the tanks all around. We got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so we formed the work group in 2007. I've been coordinating it since 2007, um, and we just we've just uh, we had a lot of the core people at the beginning of the 
um, of the effort. I remember those early meetings. I think our first meeting was at the city of Sammamish City Hall. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and we've been uh, growing that partnership since then. We've got uh, great partners, very open, collaborative process uh, where uh, we are about solving the problem. I mean, our, we were sort of, our mission was to figure out what was going wrong, fix it, mm-hmm. basically in real simple terms, um, and sustain this population. I mean, we want to prevent it from going extinct. We want it to be sustaining itself, which means it's going back to the spawning grounds mm-hmm. and producing more fish. And and this is one of the key things that we have to keep in mind is it's important for f- people to be able to fish for salmon. Right. Mm-hmm. Our third goal is for people to go back and be able to fish for kokanee on Lake Sammamish. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge mater, mod, mod, motivator for multiple uh, members of our partnership. Um, so ultimately, we want to, we have to get there. I mean, mm-hmm. We have to, we have to create that that bond that people have with mm-hmm. with these fish, these salmon as food. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally feel like if we don't get there, we're we are we are missing something in our in our overall uh, program if we don't create that opportunity to have that experience again. Right. We right. know um, historically um, uh, the indigenous people relied on this population. It mm-hmm. was it was it was a fundamental factor in their being able to reside on Lake Sammamish year round. Mm-hmm. They had a food source. Right. Um, uh, so we that is a, a fundamental. It's part of our three part mm-hmm. goal statement is to have people able to fish for kokanee mm-hmm. on the lake again. So so Nils, when you were making the movie, what kind of connection did you find? Because you were speaking that you know you know food and fishing and you know the, all these all these reasons to bring it back. You know, yeah. besides the health of the species itself, how it connects to to humans, to right. to us. So when we when you were making the, how did you see that connection, that passion, when you were out there interviewing and and tracking down and making the film? Did you sense that? Did you feel that? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, initially it was with the uh, indigenous educators here, uh, with the Snoqualmie tribe and others that, uh, you know, really trying to leverage the kokanee as this unique species as a way to, you know, um, educate the general populace and and school children especially um, as part of this time memorial curriculum to, you know, to really understand and respect those cycles that have been going on here since time immemorial. Um, But really that connection, um, you know, it it extended to just about everybody that, that I worked with. There was something and you can see it uh, on people's faces in the film, you know, just not doing this as part of their job description. I mean, the the, the KWG, I don't know if David mentions, is, is all volunteer. There's no oh, contracts wow. that brings anyone to the table. That They're all there, you know, because it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even folks who weren't part of the KWG but who were, you know, helping to coordinate some of these restoration events to plant along the creeks and people who were, you know, standing up in um, – in uh, council meetings to to talk about things we need to save, you know, that the kokanee became the symbol of things that we need to be doing anyway and that any conscientious citizen should be doing in the place where they live. Learn Mm -hmm. about the history um, and, you know, stop behaviors that are are affecting, um, you know, the natural state of the area negatively. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that connection was was really something that's felt throughout and, in fact, uh, a lot of our scenes and timelines have the word connection in them. Like uh, our main animation in the film is called the Kokanee Connection Animation. It's just this term that we use. So that that was really something that was uh, from the start. And, and I can see, 
in a way, so I've worked in Issaquah <laughs> since 99. And so salmon being an integral part of this community, um, I can see it almost getting lost because you have this the kokanee plight being lost because you have all the fish that come back every year. There's a big salmon day celebration. Yeah. So all this is like, look at all these fish. Right. But the indigenous kokanee is in dire straits, mm-hmm. is it not? Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk, David? Can you talk about what's happened recently on the population over the last, you know, sure. where? Because as I understand it, it's yeah. dropped extremely over the yeah. last several years, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, historically, back backing into those anecdotal records mm-hmm. of the original settlers, and there were naturalists around that were writing down like what they were seeing and how many fish they saw. Um, anecdotally. Kokanee were probably the most prominent, um, numerous, abundant mm. salmon um, in this watershed. They're the easiest trip. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they didn't have to go very far. That's right. um, I mean, that's what you know. Jeff Jensen again, mm-hmm. referring back to Jeff. I mean, mm-hmm. he's, he's done some looking into that, and um, uh, they were abundant. Mm-hmm. They were they were everywhere. Uh, they were here year round. They were a great food source. Uh, so there's record uh, records like that, that that allude to that the presence of these fish around. Mm-hmm. Um, we, as as time progressed into the mid-1900s, late 19, 1990s, 1980, 1990, um, again, those numbers were declining. Uh, the, uh, fish and Game, the, uh, Department of Fish and Wildlife folks were, were, were noting um, that they were seeing fewer and fewer of these fish. Uh, so it was, we, they didn't, uh, we can go back and look at specific numbers, but, mm-hmm. you know, tens of thousands of fish historically were coming down to, okay, between five and 10,000. Oh, well, between three and 7,000. Mm-hmm. They just sort of progressively going down mm-hmm. and down. So the absolute abundance of the fish was dropping. Uh, we were seeing run timings uh, disappearing. That early run disappeared. Oh, okay. The middle run uh, mm-hmm. uh, on the, um, that we think was more Sammamish River mm-hmm. oriented fish. We think those are gone as well. Oh. People periodically see fish that look like kokanee up there. We're not sure that they are kokanee or if they're some form of sockeye because mm-hmm. there's sockeye that are in the in the watershed too. Right. Um, so much much reduced abundance. Much or two of the three run timings are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the last over the last couple decades, we have very good data. Like mm-hmm. of people walking streams counting fish. Right. Over the last two decades or so, I think it actually goes back to '96. Mm-hmm. So, geez, you know, 20 mm-hmm. almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. Very good data. Yeah. Uh, so we're able to track that on an annual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, salmon populations don't—they're not stable. They don't produce the same number of fish every year. Right. They fluctuate, which is natural. That's mm-hmm. what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, what you want them to do is fluctuate around a higher number. Mm-hmm. Um, what we see is that the the average number is dropping, 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 and they're still fluctuating, but they're, they're fluctuating at a lower, lower number. The last, you know, over the last decade or so, we've seen some good returns. Okay. Um, um, and you know, using using the word "good" is kind of a relative thing, <laughs> right? Compared to historic, they're all bad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more in sort of recent times, we've seen higher numbers mm-hmm. uh, than, um, than and some lower numbers. Um, so there was a there was a there was a good year in the mid like two thousand five two thousand six. There was a very good year twelve thirteen. We had eighteen thousand fish. Oh wow! And then fifteen sixteen, uh, which is the 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 brood year, mm-hmm. the return year from that twelve thirteen run because mm-hmm. of three year fish. Oh okay. It was about seven thousand okay. fish. So we there are some good years in there, but there's mm-hmm. also some very 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 bad years yeah. in there. So we 
we around um, 12, 13, 15, 16, we thought we had kind of reached a place where, yeah, the numbers are really low on average, mm-hmm. um, but we had kind of reached a, like a stable point where it wasn't getting a lot worse mm-hmm. and on the average wasn't dropping as much. But then what we saw um, uh, in 14, 15, and 16, we saw lake conditions in the summer be almost ubiquitously lethal for oh. to kokanee. Like there was no habitat uh, for them in the summer. And here's what happens mm-hmm. in the lake. This happens in Lake Sammamish. Periodically it's happened probably over many, many years where the water temperature at the top of the lake will rise. Mm-hmm. And there's a threshold at 18 degrees Celsius. Mm-hmm. If it's warmer than that, then they start stressing out. If it gets really warmer than that, then it, they die if oh. they're trapped in it. Okay. Uh, so they'll avoid that water. So the top of the lake warms up, but the fish want to go deeper. From the bottom of the lake, what you have happen is that the oxygen levels drop over the summer because biological matter from phytoplankton blooms and algae and inputs into the lake that cause that to be uh, intensified, oxygen level drops. Oh, so it's pl- they're rises. pulling the oxygen out. It, it, it uses up the oxygen. Okay. The, the decomposition of organic mm-hmm. matter mm-hmm. uses up the oxygen. So what you see is that the temperatures are rising from the top down and forcing the fish down. Mm-hmm. Oxygen levels are dropping from the bottom oh, up. Oh, so they're just trapped. And they're trapped. Yeah. We call it the squeeze. Oh. So that happened um, in such an extreme level in 14, 15, and 16, where those levels crossed or they were very close to crossing. And if they cross, there's no habitat. Right. There's the fish are stressed out or they're just getting wiped mm-hmm. out. So what happens is that, that they'll get stressed, but it also makes them very susceptible to predators because they, there's nowhere for them to go to avoid. Mm-hmm. So now are we talking the smaller fish, like the fry, or are we talking all? Yeah, we think it pro- it's probably most mm-hmm. uh, extreme in effect on the youngest fish because they okay. just have less adaptive capacity. Right, because right, a larger fish – does the larger fish have, have predators in the lake? Uh, the bigger they get, the harder they are to consume. But there, mm. we are worried, though, that there are mm. now new introduced non-native fish that oh. will prey on them, oh, okay. like pike. Oh, okay. And walleye. Has Even pike and walleye wall- been located in yeah, the lake? They, they, oh, I yes. didn't know that. It's it's a pretty bad thing. So back to the yeah, numbers. Sorry. The um, just to wrap that up. The last uh, so fourteen and fifteen, sixteen were the bad summer years. So mm-hmm. that means that sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. 19 are sort of the years when those fish will start coming back Mm -hmm. if they live. Mm -hmm. What we saw in those three years was returns ranging from 20 fish, total return, to 120. Through the whole watershed? Through the whole watershed. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So so when Nils is saying he can't find the fish to see on the camera, that's why. (laughs) Because there just aren't any out there to see. Wow. So... um, that's yeah. that's as bad. Is that, it's that bad? Is that the last established count? Is we we just finished one. No, okay. no, no, we we count okay. every year. So okay, we just yeah. finished the one uh, for this year, um, and it was 280 ish. We don't have an exact number. Right. You, ne- you never have an exact number, but it's in that sort right. of two fifty, two eighty range. But it dropped from several thousand yeah. to twenty. Yes. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Right, right when we were kind of yeah. entering the thick of the documentary. Yeah. So oh, really? it really was envisioned as, as a short documentary, 20, 25 <laughs> oh, minutes wow. kind of documenting mm-hmm. this dedication. And, and we thought right. maybe a continuation of, of yeah. rising numbers perhaps, you know, if we were like lucky. Like a happy ending type yeah, of thing. Exactly. <laughs> like, and look what we did. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's one of those tough moments as a filmmaker, as a producer, where you realize that, Although this is horrible news for everyone involved, it really lends more depth and gravitas to to the story, and you know, 
everyone was very encouraging to you know let's you know we have to document at least the next season we got to see what mm-hmm. happens and and you know and obviously the characters that we we had been working with who you know whose livelihood really is to to study and and educate based on these fish they you know you could just see the resolve uh well initially it was depression and then resolve and then you know there's still 20 fish that's something wow. let's yeah. let's build on that so it was mm-hmm. kind of interesting. There's definitely see. a glass half full attitude, and I guess you have to have <laughs> that. You know, yeah. you can't. Yeah. But wow, that when. Yeah. You know, I, I I think this is a good point. Maybe we want to show the trailer. So um, sure. Yeah. I just um, I'm excited. I haven't seen the long one. I've seen the short short snippet. So we uh, you brought the trailer for um, spawning yes. grounds. Um, so we're gonna take a moment right now. in somebody else's worldview if this is the Garden of Eden. The land, all of the animals, the creeks, all of those sacred cycles are gifts. They need to be taken care of. The kokanee are that unique kind of gift. The lakes of Mammoth, Coconut Salmon, spend their entire life in a lake system. They enabled our ancestors to live here year-round because there was that food source. They're very important to our people. Five years ago, more than 18,000 Coconut adults were counted in these tributaries. This past year, we counted 20. They've evolved to spawn in small creeks, which is completely different than almost all the other Pacific salmon populations. So whatever goes on in this lake and watershed, you know, it's, it's our doing. People continue to keep moving here. They keep building in very, very sensitive places. Amazon is building, Google is building. The residents of this town have lost out on the economic boom that's been taking place in every other city. If you move to a place, then you need to learn about the place and its history. Welcome to my homeland, to my people's homeland. It's vital right now to be the ones to tell our story. So we're stepping up to that role to carry that forward. What are our options for action? What can we do to optimize the success of those fish? I've never been in a project like this where we have 20 plus different stakeholders and partners that come from all different levels of government, all different backgrounds. We are working together, the surrounding communities around Lake Sammamish, the tribes, to raise awareness but also start actions. been more than 40 years since they've been able to come up this creek. It gives us as a, as a tribe a sense of homecoming. I feel like we're doing kind of our small part in the whole kokanee restoration. I love the interface between man's environment and valuable natural resources and how do we manage the aquatic biological world 
with these other very real needs. How do we make it all happen? Their survival is our survival. And the fish friend are giving everything, everything for the next generation. It's easy to blame, but we are all stewards. We have to do something. It just feels good to see people working together on something that's important. And it's a shared importance. We all are here for the same reason. This is a marvelous place to live. Their spawning grounds are quite literally in the backyards of the communities that we all live in. And what's neat about this project is we're not simply helping to recover a fish, we're helping to reconnect the community itself with these lands and these waters that actually define the region. If we can get this population back to stable, that would be a huge success story. And it would show that it can be done. It can be done. Wow, that's um, powerful. I, Thank you. you know, mm -hmm. Very powerful. Um, also reminds us just by watching um, all the uh, sorry about that. Um, watching all the visuals, how lucky we are to live in this beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful area. We always take advantage. You know, take, you know, we just don't respect it. We see it every day, but until you see it the way you presented it, and also so when. Within that, the creatures that live within this beautiful space and what we have to protect, mm -hmm. it's just amazing. So mm -hmm. I can't wait to see the movie. Um, can't wait for you to see it. Yeah. So let's, let's – <laughs> And many, many other people. That's right. That's right. So let's kind of dig into it. That was beautiful. And um, um, so it just premiered when? Uh, two Saturdays ago, the 18th of January. Uh, that was at the North Bend Theater. It's very important that we we did the premiere in in the watershed uh, near the the community that really forms the nucleus of the film. So we premiered it there to a sold out audience. And, oh, nice! Uh, great night. Oh, that's great. So so what's the plans with the film now? So you had your premiere. Um, when's the next time someone can see it? And uh, yeah, so. Um, <clears throat> The next screening is uh, our Seattle premiere, which we're very excited about. It's at the Intellectual House on the UW campus, which is just an incredible uh, facility. Um, it's fairly new there on campus, um, and there's plenty of speakers that will be part of that. There'll be a panel discussion. Uh, so that's February 8th. Uh, the start time of the film is 5 p.m. If you want to come early and uh, kind of uh, meet some of the folks who are involved with the film, and there'll be, you know, county and, and, and state leaders and, and tribal leaders there, that's uh, doors open at 3.30. Okay. Um, and then beyond that, we have an Earth Day screening at UW Bothell or, or in that area. We're still mm -hmm. trying to find the, the perfect venue. Okay. Um, and we'll be uh, looking to get it into a lot of the outdoor, uh, you know, movie festivals here around the lake, Marymore Park. And, um, and yeah, uh, I'm in the process right now of submitting to film festivals. Um, 
both uh, conservation-focused film festivals as well as, uh, you know, uh, larger film festivals, including SIF, uh, which the deadline is this week. So um, oh, Fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And, um, yeah, we're, we're looking at different options for kind of a larger distribution. My dream would be to get it on PBS nationally because oh, yeah. I think even though it's a local story, regional story here, uh, the, the themes that it touches on are things that, that areas across the country are facing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, stay tuned on, on screenings beyond kind of the the immediate ones, but uh, we are going to be pushing this out any way we can to get it in front of in front mm-hmm. of eyes. Oh, and one thing I didn't mention that's been very important from the start is to get into schools, and oh, so um, yeah, our uh, partner at the Snoqualmie Tribe is, is working with eight different elementary schools around the lake, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can expand beyond that. Mm-hmm. So um, when did you when did the process of this film start? So it sounds like yeah. it's almost been a labor of love for you. <laughs> Maybe, I, probably yeah. every project you are, but but you know, but it sounds like it, in, in the conversation we had that it was going to be one thing and it turned into something else. Kind of talk about the process that you went through sure. on this film. Uh, I um, actually through a, a different project about suction dredging, which is a whole other uh, animal, <laughs> um, I had uh, worked with some of the folks involved in kokanee recovery and, and learned about the uh, subject from, from them. And I have an ongoing relationship with KCTS9 here and, and produce some smaller documentaries for them. So we thought we'd do a short little two-minute piece about the Kokanee and their recovery. And um, it was kind of a, you know, just barely touched the surface um, of what was happening. And so we finished that project and pretty much immediately David and I and a few other folks kind of strategized, you know, what what can we do to really um, tell this full story? Um, so that was uh, summer 2016, early fall 2016. We started meeting with, with partners, potential funders. Um, and, yeah, the, the aim was to try to finish something by, uh, you know, early 2018 or – or mid 2018, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, after after some of the low return numbers and the depth of the story, and and just how much sheer footage. There's a lot of stuff in that trailer mm-hmm. that never made it into the film because <laughs> um, that was actually done before we finished the editing of the film. But um, yeah, we, we we realized that it was gonna gonna take some time to craft the narrative in the edit room. Mm-hmm. So right. yeah, so it. it it was definitely a long process and a lot of days where you, you show up expecting one thing and something totally different would happen or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the day would be would be a bust and you'd have to reset and try to document that one piece of action the next time. And, mm-hmm. um, kind of tell, tell the anecdote we had spoke before we uh, started recording. Sure. Tell me the anecdote of in that trailer there's the beautiful shot in the clear creek. Tell an anecdote how, how that yeah. How hard it was to get that shot. So with with the return numbers being, you know, as low as 20 while we're filming, you know, uh, obviously, you know, being in the creek when they're, they're coming up and spawning is, is really tough. I mean, uh, we knew from some of the scientists' work that it's after really those early heavy rains that they're, they're going to come up. Uh, but you don't know when it's going to be. And, you know, there's there's dedicated people walking those streams all the time during the run. And so we were just waiting, you know, for, for some type of notice, some type of cell phone call. I, I was starting to work with animators to, to kind of be able to show Kokanee through, wow. through some way. <laughs> right. Uh, and, yeah, I got the calls about 6.45 a.m. Uh, from Jim Bauer, the uh, King County biologist featured in, in the film. Uh, and he just said, you know, there's a report of, of several fish up here 
on on this creek in Issaquah, you know, can can you be here ASAP? Uh, and I had just gotten this brand new GoPro that did 4K in slow motion and uh, didn't really have time to test it out at all. So I yeah, just jumped in the car. Um, my cinematographer Mark Pingree wasn't available on such short notice, so I just thought I'd go out there on. And hopefully it would be the day. And, yeah, we dipped the camera in there and, and um, you know, at the time couldn't really see what we were getting. But uh, in the parking lot, you know, an hour later, just watched some of these amazing shots of fish. And, th- you know, there's already some, some pretty good uh, cinematography of them. So I had kind of a model to go after. But Jim actually sh- shot most of that footage. And, uh, yeah, there's just a female and a male kind of dancing together in the creek. And it was just mm-hmm. just kind of special. And there's only two of us there. Usually, it was a much larger yeah. group, so. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and it's pretty remarkable. I mean, the timing, um, getting the timing right. I mean, we there are times when we're trying to find fish to take to the hatcher, we can't find them. Oh, right. Like they're in and out of those streams mm-hmm. so fast um, mm-hmm. when they're spawning mm-hmm. uh, that that we will, like Neil said. People will walk creeks. Our biologists who are trained mm-hmm. to walk these creeks and look for these fish won't find them. Mm-hmm. But they'll see the reds, the egg the egg nests right. um, in the gravel. I'm like, well, they were here. We just didn't mm-hmm. see them. So it was, it's remarkable to find them. And then when the when the flows come up, as Nils referred mm-hmm. to, often the water is cloudy. It's, right. It's dirty. There's mm-hmm. leaves and there's stuff floating around. So yeah. it was it – was, Miraculous! Like, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I, we talked. I said, I, good? I, I you had a clear creek and beautiful fish. Well, people I like, saw that and they're like, "Where's that from?" Like, that's yeah. those are our kokanee. That's from Laughing Jacobs Creek, and it's Amazing. it was it's remarkable. It was, it was a mm-hmm. stroke of, of mm-hmm. luck to, to get yeah. those. So, um, I had a quick question about um, you said biologists are out there. So, if they're out there when they're coming up and they see uh, a male and a female doing the dance, mm-hmm. are you guys trying to? T- take them to the hatchery to get the eggs to protect them is that the is that the plan and then once they're if you see the reds is it too late do you not move move them what's that process like it's a it's a huge learning process i mean it's and we're we're learning about these fish Mm -hmm. all the time like even like this week Mm -hmm. we're learning new things about these fish Mm -hmm. so it's been something that our scientist uh, staff have worked on for again almost or over two decades Mm -hmm. Uh, to get that process right, because you don't want to harm the fish, you don't mm-hmm. want to change their behavior, you don't want to be uh, killing eggs, like stepping on eggs. So they're mm-hmm. very careful about what they do all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. In general, we what we try to do is keep most of the spawning, um, the eggs in the gravel. Okay. We don't. We want most of that spawning to happen naturally. Oh, okay. Because the the survival from the fish from the gravel is much better than the survival from the fish from the hatchery. Oh really? Um, okay. And uh, we 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 don't we want we don't want that artificial process. Mm-hmm. And, and supplementation is it's a managed mm-hmm. human intervention into that that spawning process, mm-hmm. which um, we're very careful about not overdoing that. So. Mm-hmm. If our biologists, primarily they go out there to count fish. Right. And, and if they see situations where there are a number of fish that they feel like we could take some, then they'll come back um, soon after that, and then they'll, and they'll net them and they'll take them to the hatchery. So most of the spawning um, in most years happens naturally. Oh, okay. And we don't mess with those fish. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's eggs in the gravel, we don't touch the eggs in the gravel. We don't mm-hmm. just we don't think that's a really productive mm-hmm. thing to do. I, usually, what I mean, traditionally what um, our, our biologists have done is they've gone out and walked the streams. They see where there's a sort of a collection of fish, 
and they say, okay, we can take, if there's 15 fish and eight males and seven females, we can take two females and three males, and that, that'll be it. So it's a, it's a much um, lower number than the actual number of fish that are there. And we try to get them, again, this gets back to the timing mm -hmm. challenge. You, they will come into these streams and spawn quickly. Mm -hmm. So you have to be out there before they spawn because you don't want to take spawn fish to the hatchery because you don't get anything from those right. fish. Right, right. Um, so mm -hmm. the timing of this is just it's mm -hmm. so tight. Yeah. Uh, so they have to be out there a lot. And what we've done in the last few years, given the low numbers, mm -hmm. um, we've actually, for two years now, we've put traps at the mouths of three our three major creeks, uh, Ebright Creek, Laughing Jacobs Creek, and Lewis Creek. Um, and we... They're not operating all the time. We we operate them for six to eight hours, um, a couple times a week when the spawning return is happening, and they're monitored continuously. Um, so it, it takes a little bit of the guesswork out. Um, uh, so our our staff will go around to the traps and they'll, and they'll find fish in the trap and they'll take those to the hatchery. And they're at the bottom end of the creek, so they probably haven't spawned yet. Okay. And it's it's um, mm -hmm. It's not as stressful as sort of chasing them into the in the creek and um, mm -hmm. taking them that way. So, it's a it's a complicated process that yeah. we were very careful when we do. Um, when when the group did the release this year, it was different. It was you. They were larger fish. You yep. released them in the lake. T yeah. Talk about the change in yeah. that philosophy and yeah. process. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this is the learning process that mm -hmm. I mentioned before. We're always learning. We're always adapting. We're always using the best information we have to make the right decisions about th the things that we do. So what we found, um, as we've been running the supplementation program since 2009, mm -hmm. um, we w our sense is that um, if we can hold fish, some of our fish, not all of them, we still treat different collections of fish differently within the supplementation program. Mm -hmm. Some of the fish... Um, we will raise an egg boxes on creeks, and they'll just go out when they're, you know, this big. Right. Right away, mm -hmm. like in April, March, mm -hmm. April. They'll just go out on their own. We felt it was important to use a little bit of different strategy on some of our fish, um, and that was to hold them longer over mm -hmm. the summer um, where they get where they're bigger and then put them in the lake in October in the case that yeah. you're, you're noting. Usually, I mean, what we had done for many years prior to that was get those fish – um, either through those egg boxes or from the hatchery into the streams and into the lake by May. Mm -hmm. They're all out. We don't, we're not holding any fish. Oh, okay. First, the first time we held fish over the summer was last summer because mm -hmm. we, we want to see how those fish will do if they're going directly into the lake, not going into the streams, and they're bigger. Mm -hmm. um, we have a strong sense that one of the significant for, um, causes of predation and mortality and loss of these mm -hmm. fish is when they're young, they're coming out of the streams, and there are predators at the mouths of these streams. Right. Um, there are natural native predators like cutthroat that will eat some of these fish, but there's also perch and bass mm -hmm. that have been introduced, in, and they're in large numbers in that lake. It's true. And it's, uh, so Jim Bauer calls it sort of the ring of death or something around <laughs> right. the, the shoreline around right. the lake uh, uh -huh. where those little fish are going mm -hmm. out, and they're just they're prey. That's We're right. basically feeding perch. Mm -hmm. If you do it, at the, if you do it wrong, so we uh, we wanted to put some fish, bigger fish, directly into the lake in October when the lake mm -hmm. conditions are better, when that squeeze is gone, right? Because it ends in the early October usually. Mm -hmm. 
So we're trying that. All of the fish that come through our supplementation program are marked. So we'll know if okay. we find them on the spawning grounds or found their carcass yeah. or their heads because it's the ear bones that we mark. Uh, we can tell if they come from the from the gravel or from this hatchery program. Oh, interesting. And if they were one of these extended rearing fish or they came from an egg box, we can tell. Wow. Um, so um, we put a lot of thought into how we mm. do this in ways that we can learn as we go, and we're always adapting and doing better um, based on the information we get. So that was new. It was mm-hmm. a great event, by the way. It, it was. was um, actually, the gentleman directing today, mm-hmm. he was out there. It was yeah. a beautiful night. It was amazing. It was just, it was perfect. Yes. So yeah. congratulations yeah. on that event. I think it went really well. Well, and usually <laughs> we would release those fish when they're this big. And, and we have, uh-huh. we, we, it's partly of an educational event when the kids would be, they'd have With the, the little, little company in the cup. Mm-hmm. The kids love that. And we, we want the kids to be involved mm-hmm. with that. But this was different because the fish are six inches long. And, right. Um, it was pretty, mm-hmm. it was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So. We, the, I think uh, the mayor of Issaquah was out there yep. and released a few as well. So uh, we had multiple <laughs> elected officials and tribal representatives. Yes. It's really, it was a great. Yes. There was a, uh, Native, uh, native population. Snoqualmie tribe, Snoqualmie tribe. tribe yeah, was yeah. there. Uh, yeah. The canoe was there. That was uh, really impressive. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of, of that, and I know we're kind of going going along, but I'm just this conversation is amazing to I, me. We can go. <laughs> I can talk about this forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, the connection to um, the different tribes, the different native tribes. Who who did you connect with um, in the film and um, their stories uh, about this and how important it is to their culture. Um, yeah. Um, for the film, I, I met with uh, a number of uh, tribal representatives uh, from Snoqualmie, uh, Muckleshoot, Puyallup. Uh, mm-hmm. had some phone calls with Tulalip. Um, you know, they all know of this fish and of this story and, and you know, was able to spend, uh, you know, at least an afternoon, sometimes a whole day with, with some elders at each. Um, uh, but, you know, the Snoqualmie tribe... Um, you know, really, they're the ones doing a lot of the um, plant restorations and and scientific work as well. And they they really, um, you know, had a vested interest in in, in helping to tell this story. Um, and so I early on met just an incredible uh, young woman who's who's featured in the film as well. Her name is McKenna Sweet Dorman, um, and she's just doing. A lot uh, with the tribe, but uh, when I first met her, she was working with um, the. Um, she was an outreach specialist for the Department of Natural Resources at the tribe, and uh, was was telling Kokanee stories uh, throughout the watershed, and kind of meeting with whoever uh, she could to kind of perpetuate the story. And I think, um, yeah, it, early on, I was just just amazed by her and then she introduced me to uh elders in the tribe and and her mother uh lois sweet dorman whose voice is uh at the beginning and end of that trailer um and uh yeah it's just an incredible experience to to listen to these stories and to uh to sort of you know realize how how little we as kind of settlers here n- know um right. a- about those natural cycles and um you know is is a really hard thing to really put in its totality in the film because in in 50 minutes which is the running time of the film you, you just can't you can barely scratch the surface again um so you know that was really enriching for me and uh an experience I would you know never 
probably never have again um, just mm-hmm. to, to be so close to such uh, just deep indigenous knowledge um, and, and it's continuing uh, we're doing other work together and um, yeah that's amazing that's really yeah. that's really great and, pe- and people are really touched by that mm-hmm. I mean I you mentioned McKenna and um, that that is such an important part of the story uh, in so many ways I mean I uh, in the film there's a there's a um, portion of the film which everybody should go see um where we're at the everybody go see the film (laughs) Uh, february 8th intellectual house get your tickets now Mm -hmm. um uh there's a there's a scene in the film um where we're at a planting project um on ebright creek on wally prairie's land and one of the folks who's being interviewed as a recent immigrant Yes. I think she's uh, Chinese. Yep, um, Showa mm-hmm. from, yeah. from Beijing. And she's remarking about, I just re- arrived here. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. I'm, right, not, right. I'm doing a bad job. But mm-hmm. I just arrived here. It's, I'm really struck by the nature around, mm-hmm. and we have to work to protect um, yeah. what we have. And, mm-hmm. and, and in that same, in the same story, you have these people that have been here for thousands of years right. uh, and have that sort of link way back in time. Mm-hmm. And you have these these new people and these people that have been here for m- millennia, mm-hmm. yeah. um, all you know, working together. And you have us who are mm-hmm. sort of sort of middling in there, arriving yeah. you know, <laughs> after that in, yeah. in, the, in the middle there, right? Um, all you know, working together mm-hmm. and and telling and telling that story from way back and mm-hmm. telling that story today and telling it together, right? Um, and Nils did a great job of sort of documenting that and mm-hmm. weaving that narrative together. But it's really. Yeah. It's such an important part of uh, of what we yeah. do and the story we tell and and why um, people are motivated to mm-hmm. to do this. Um, I think it's it's just for me. It's one yeah. of the things that keeps me hopeful. Yeah, um, is that part of it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's hard for people to understand the the depth and the importance that the natural resources are to the native tribes in our area because it was such a part of their, it is their heritage, right? Yeah. And so um, that, that is a huge part of this film is just, to me, it's just, it's just an amazing thing. And yeah. uh, just, I can't wait to see it. I will be there cool. on February 8th. <laughs> Save you a seat. You know, if, um, if um, besides supporting the film, and I, and, and I just, Anybody's listening, you know, got to go see this film. Um, but if you're a community member, you know, and you you hear this or you learn about it and it resonates with you, how can you help? You know, how can they, you know, um, how can they add their resources to saving the kokanee? Right. I mean, it, um, first thing is people need to know. Right. Um, so I'm glad folks are listening today mm-hmm. um, uh, and make yourself aware of what, what's going on out mm-hmm. there. Uh, with kokanee, but also within, in the natural environment, our natural heritage um, mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Um, kokanee are a signal that, that something's not right and we have to be doing better. Uh, so make yourself aware fundamentally. And then take action. And there's different ways that people can do that for the folks who live in the watershed mm-hmm. and they own land out mm-hmm. there. Um, be respectful of the creeks and the streams and the mm-hmm. trees. Um, you know, keep as many trees as you can. Mm-hmm. Don't use fertilizers on your lawn if you can avoid it because that that causes li- a degradation of conditions of water quality in the lake and the streams. Mm-hmm. Um, don't wash your car in your driveway. Those mm-hmm. kind of things, which people have said forever, but they're true. I mean, right. Those are those are mm-hmm. good things to do. Is mm-hmm. um, it, it, you know do those things that avoid impacting the land and the water. That's that's right. fundamental. It's really important. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important for folks to talk to their um, elected officials mm-hmm. about 
what they care about. Right. Um, um, make sure that they know that you're interested in your wear and you and you you want them to be helpful in mm-hmm. their role as leaders in right. the community uh, to help out uh, and to use their um, their responsibility and their authority uh, and their resources to to pitch in and do it. I think mm-hmm. there's a premium given the context that we're working in for us to have creative, mm-hmm. effective leadership um, in, uh, in this work. There's a lot of challenges out there. It can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, uh, and we have a lot of smart, capable people working on this. We need more. We mm-hmm. always need more people uh, to be pitching in. And I think there's a premium on, on those kind of folks getting involved and rewarding the kind of creative work uh, that mm-hmm. needs to be done um, to manage this watershed the right way. Uh, so you know, get make yourself aware, get involved, let your leaders know. Uh, we also have partners who are very willing to have folks go volunteer on their projects. Oh, planting projects like mm-hmm. Snoqualmie Tribe, contact Snoqualmie Tribe, their mm-hmm. natural resources department, Trout Unlimited, mm-hmm. who's a major supporter of this film. Uh, they do uh, they do work. Uh, mm-hmm. They do planting projects. They do the perchathon uh, okay. out there taking fish. Right, get rid of those out predators. Of get uh, them once out or twice there. a year, they do that. How was it? I wonder how successful that was this year. <laughs> uh, Dave Kyle at Trout Unlimited, yeah. he has the has the records. Okay. They, they, it's pretty remarkable yeah. for a very short. Mm-hmm. window of catching these fish they mm-hmm. catch a lot of fish that's great uh, and it's but and every little bit helps right every little thing absolutely. and that's a dip, and that's a different approach let's yeah. let's do like make it a fun event you know yeah. like a planning event or yes. a purchase-a-thon but all these little things add up absolutely. as well as ed- educating and reaching out to your elected officials and all these things yeah. and in, in you know, just if we if we just all get together and do it, maybe we move the needle a little yeah. bit every yeah. single day. Yeah, people are motivated in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even among our group, some mm-hmm. folks are all about we got to go fishing for these fish. Some folks right. are this is our history that we're protecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're they're different. Um, they're different motivations. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, we'll, we'll we'll meet you where you are, and mm-hmm. we're going to get the right things done. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. And through uh, the uh, movie's website, spawninggroundsfilm.org, you can link to the other partners, and they have calendars on their pages oh, where you can sign up for restoration, planting, uh, perch derby, and other events mm-hmm. that, that uh, the local chapter of Trout Unlimited does. So that that's kind of, uh, for right now, that's that's the website to go to to learn about the film, and there's a partner link on there where you can... Uh, linked directly to the pages of, of uh, all the partners. The cities and Mid-Sound Fisheries Enhancement Group, Mountain mm-hmm. Sound Greenway, there's lots of opportunity for folks to, <laughs> to get wonderful. their hands dirty and, and, and do something important on the ground. Yeah. <coughs> well, I know we could continue all day long, but I think we've been at it pretty for a long time. I want to thank you both for it's coming in today. This thank has been you. really, really informative for me. And um, and anything else you want to plug before we go? And we're going to add some <laughs> some lower thirds on here and stuff like that. But if anything you want to add before we head, head out the door? No, I think uh, you know the next screening will be will be big. It's it's an amazing venue, and there's plenty of parking on a Saturday afternoon. And uh, yeah, the Super Bowl isn't till the next day, so. <laughs> You know you don't have any plans. Come on and check it out. And, and yeah, there, there will, there's a great lineup of speakers and a panel discussion afterwards. Right. So there's plenty of ways to to yeah. uh, experience beyond the film. Right. And there were we sold out the house in North Bend. Nice. Um, there were folks in tears um, watching the film. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I've been doing That's this a long time. Yeah. I know the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm. There are points where I'm sort of getting choked up. I'm like, wow. Uh, this this means so much. To so many people yeah. um, in so many different ways. I mean, Nils has done a great job with this film, capturing mm-hmm. that. Um, so well, if the trailer is any 
um, clue to what is to come. I can't wait to see it myself. Mm-hmm. Once awesome. again, yeah. Once again, gentlemen, thank you thank so much you. for coming. Thank you, Thanks, Tim. everybody, for listening and watching. And remember, everyone, stay unique. <laughs>